You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. It's so great to join with you again this morning. And uh, my name is Marty. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, thanks to Nathan for leading us this morning in worship. So a few years ago, at my former church, I had to go backstage to check out the accessibility to the baptismal tank because I was baptizing a 90-year-old woman. And I was in a hurry as I went back there, and I forgot to turn on the light. And as I was walking backstage, I thought, oh, this is a bad idea. I should go back and turn on the light. But I was kind of focused, so I just kept going, knowing that there was a light switch ahead of me. But what I had forgotten is that the light switch was situated just below or above a set of stairs. And so as I reached for the light switch, I took a big step and tumbled down the stairs. And I fell and hit my head against the back wall. I got hurt my neck and back. I got a slight concussion, ended up with a couple days in bed and all those WorkSafe BC forms to fill out. And it was super embarrassing, obviously. Uh, but one of the things I realized or remembered from that is how critically important light is to show us our way and to show us the hazards in our path. Which brings us to our text this morning. And it starts with an announcement by Jesus. I am the light of the world. We are in the middle of a story, uh, of a story of a series in the Gospel of John of Jesus' I am statements. And so there's eight statements that we'll be looking at this summer. Pastor Sam started with the end of John 8, before Abraham was, I am. And then last week, Pastor David talked about, I am the bread of life from John 6. And so let's read our text this morning, found in John 8, 12 to 20. You can check it out on your phone or your pew Bibles, or it'll be on the screen. So stand with me as we read God's word together. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I come from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself, and my other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Let's pray. So Jesus, we want to open our hearts to hear your words this morning, to the work of your spirit. Show us who you are and what you're calling us to. Amen. Please sit down. Yeah. So Jesus in this text is declaring that he is the light of the world at a very strategic time. It's right at the end of the Festival of the Tabernacles, also called the Feast of the Booths. And this is a 
week-long festival that was established by Moses. You can read about it in Leviticus 23. But it's a celebration of the time that God took care of the Israelites as they were living in tents in the wilderness after their exodus from Egypt. And during the celebrations, the Jews would recall how God had provided for them in the wilderness. So they remembered the bread that God provided, also called manna. And in John 6, Jesus identifies himself as the bread of life. Next, they remembered the water from the rock that Moses struck, and water poured out and, and quenched the thirst of the Israelites. This is described in Exodus 17. And as part of the festival, there were two great ceremonies, and the first had to do with this pouring of the water out of the rock. And in John 7, Jesus identifies himself with this water, and he says, from me, rivers of living waters will flow. The second great festival, a second great ceremony during the festival, had to do with remembering the light that God provided to the Israelites to lead them through the wilderness. So this was a pillar, and it was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It's described in Exodus 13, and it confirmed that God was with the Israelites. And then the Israelites would follow this pillar as they made their way into the freedom of the new land out of slavery in Egypt. The second ceremony involved the lighting of four 75-foot candelabras that were in the treasury area in the court of the women. And each of these candelabras had four branches, and at the top of every branch was a huge bowl. And so in the festival, what would happen is four young priests would climb a ladder, and they'd be carrying 40-liter jugs filled with oil. They'd climb to the top of the ladder, and they light the candles. And again, these are six-inch candles, but those were, se- those were 75 feet. So imagine these huge things, p- taller than this building. And the people would look up, and they'd see the light, and they'd remember God, the pillar of fire. And the temple w- was on top of a mountain, and so people from all over Jerusalem could see these lights and celebrate God's presence with them. And following the lighting of these lights, there would be a big party, and they'd sing songs of praise, and they'd dance all night, worshiping and celebrating God who was with them. So here, right now, at the end of the festival, with the memory of these lights, Jesus stands and tells the people that he is the light of the world, and they should follow him. This, is, this happened in this busiest area of the temple in the midst of this important celebration. And this is a bold claim by Jesus and would have been shocking for the people who heard it. So this morning we're going to look at three key questions. Who does Jesus think he is? Who do the people who heard Jesus think he is? And then if it, Jesus is who he says he is, how should we respond So first, what is Jesus claiming about himself? And to try and understand this, we won't just look at the Feast of the Tabernacles, but we need to look at John, and we need to look at a few passages in the Old Testament. So in the book of John, Jesus uses the metaphor of light for himself 16 times. And in John 1, 4-5, John says of Jesus, "...in him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind." The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
And when we're in the dark, as I was backstage, we fumble around trying to make sense of what is happening. But in the light, everything is revealed. In the book of John, light both exposes the darkness and overcomes it. So when Jesus calls himself the light of the world, he is the light that overcomes darkness. He also is like re- referring to a prophecy in, in uh, Isaiah 9-2, and it's a prophecy about the Messiah. And it says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And again in Isaiah 42, 6 and 7, Isaiah speaks of the coming Messiah. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free the captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. In the Old Testament, light as well was a metaphor for God, and a metaphor for the word of God. In Psalm 27.1, the psalmist writes, The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? And in Psalm 119.105, And your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. So Jesus, as the light of the world, reveals things as they are. Like when a light switch turns on in a room or the sun rises in the morning, you can now see what is in front of you. And theologian and pastor N.T. Wright outlines some things that Jesus the light reveals. First of all, Jesus the light reveals who God is. Jesus shines the light on the Father. And John records that Jesus saying things like this, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And when you look at Jesus and you study his words and actions in the Gospels, Know that Jesus is providing light so we can see what God is like. Second, Jesus as light reveals who he is. He is the Messiah. And Jesus doesn't just come to declare some good ethical teaching, maybe like Buddha or Muhammad. He doesn't just point to the way and the truth and the life. He doesn't just declare that he is a light or one of the lights. Jesus declares He is the light, and not only for his own people, but for the entire world. And the word world used here is cosmos, the entire universe. Jesus is the light for everyone. Jesus is the way to the Father. Thirdly, Jesus reveals a new way of living. He reveals what it means to live a good and beautiful life, a flourishing life. And the key to this, as Jesus says in John 8, 27, is that he does nothing on his own. He only does what the Father tells him to do. And this new way of living is to stay intimately and closely connected to the Father. That is the good life. And then finally, Jesus as a light reveals what darkness is and all that is hazardous in the world. So a number of years ago, my mother-in-law got some bifocals and she put them on and she looked around at her house and she saw dust balls and dirt that she had never seen before. And what happened is that her glasses revealed the judgment that her house was not clean. And that's how Jesus' light works. When Jesus shines, he reveals evil and wickedness around us. 
This evil and wickedness is bent on destroying God's good world. And with this comes judgment. In John 9.39, Jesus says, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And Jesus brings a judgment of light. God's desire is that evil is exposed so he can dismantle it. Now, when Jesus declares who he is, the light of the world, the leaders of his time were not very happy with this. They were offended by him saying that. They didn't want to hear uh, what Jesus had to say. How could Jesus be the light of the world? And so a fierce argument breaks out between Jesus and the Pharisees, and it runs through the whole of chapter 8. But the argument begins with the leaders relying on a technicality to express their belief. And I think this is something we do if we disagree with someone. We find a nitpicky thing to discredit their argument. I don't know if you ever do that. Uh, but in Jewish law, you needed two witnesses to, in court to prove that you were speaking the truth. And the first challenge that the Pharisees make is that Jesus can't be his own witness. He needs two witnesses to prove that he's the light. So Jesus, you can't be the light. You can't make this claim on your own. Where are your two witnesses to verify it? And so Jesus defends himself saying that he is connected to his father. He stands with the father and the father has sent him. And his two witnesses are himself and the father who sent him. Well, the Pharisees don't buy this. This is, this is not good enough. And so they challenge him and they taunt him. They say, where is your father? They're probably referring to the fact that his parentage is in question. But Jesus doesn't shrink back from their challenge. Jesus knows who he is, and he's confident um, that God is with him. And it's easy to think of Jesus as a really nice guy. He's super loving and accepting, but he is not afraid to call people out. And he stands toe-to-toe with these leaders. And he is confident that he is the one who God has sent because he is communicating with the Father and the Father is communicating with him. Jesus, as the light, also reveals the darkness of these leaders. And he says to them, you do not know me or my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. And then later on in the chapter, he goes on to insinuate that their father is the evil one, the devil. So how can the light of Jesus appear as darkness to some? And there was an interesting occurrence that happened back in the Old Testament in Exodus 14 with the pillar of cloud and light. And so the Israelites were escaping from the Egyptians. The Egyptians were chasing them. And the Israelites get to the edge of the Red Sea. And they're in danger. And so the pillar of cloud and light comes down between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And when the Israelites look at the at the pillar they see light and when the Egyptians look at the pillar they see darkness and God covers and protects uh, the Israelites with this pillar and some people's hearts can be hardened so that when they look at Jesus they see darkness instead of light this is what happened to these Jewish leaders Um, they saw Jesus but they didn't recognize who he was he didn't make sense to them and in John 3 19 to 20 John writes this And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. 
Now, I don't think people's response to Jesus is much different these, day, these days. Try walking into your university or your classroom or your lunchroom and announcing, Jesus is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will never walk in darkness. This would be seen as nonsense and offensive. How can there be one light? There are many lights. Who is he to say he is the light? I want to choose my own light. And some of you here may be thinking this about Jesus. Great guy, good teachings, but definitely not the light. Uh, on the other hand, some of you may be confident that Jesus' claims about himself are true. Or maybe you're here and you're open to exploring it. Who is Jesus? So what if it is true? What if Jesus is the light of the world? How might this impact our lives and how could we respond to this? In the second part of verse 12, Jesus says this, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Jesus is constantly giving this invitation to follow him, to become his disciples. And the people who hear this invitation in chapter 8 respond in two different ways. One group of the Jews believe in him, and then if you, you see that in verse 30, and if you keep going in verse 59, some of them pick up stones to kill him. So let me read another section from our text this morning, verses 30 to 32. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Step one in being a follower of Jesus is to believe what he said, that he is the light of the world, that he has come from the Father. And then secondly, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you really are my disciples. This word hold is sometimes translated dwell or live in. And so we're called to dwell in G Jesus' teachings, to find our home in them, to rest in them. This is a test of genuine faith. And hold on is just not intellectual agreement, but it's a commitment to living in Jesus' teachings. It's very different to follow someone as a fan than as a disciple. And Jesus isn't particularly one who values fans. So he, he isn't happy if we like him. He wants us to learn from him, to trust him, and to obey him, to commit our lives to living in him. So to be a disciple of Jesus you need to believe in who he says he is and do what he says to do. And this is not a one-time decision, but it's a daily decision, and it begins with the des desire to hear Jesus' words. So I think at one time or another, many of us get to a point in our faith journey where we feel tired. David talked about this last week. We've tried and we've failed living in Jesus, and it seems burdensome and restrictive. And this happened to me early on in my faith journey. As I headed off to university, I thought that following Jesus seemed too hard and too isolating. And, and so although I believed, I didn't follow him. And I imagined all these restrictions that he had placed on me. And I decided to just be a fan. So I'd hung, hang around church a bit, come once in a while. I had loose connections with other followers of Jesus. But I basically just did my own thing. 
And things began to change for me the summer after my first year university. I began to see something in the followers of Jesus around me that I longed for in my life. I saw a kind of joy and a freedom that I didn't have. And so I began to follow Jesus. I decided to make Jesus a number one priority in my life. And for things, for me, things really changed. And I began to experience joy and freedom in my life. And Jesus doesn't just give us the requirement, hold on to my teachings, do what I say, but he also gives us this promise. And in John 8, 34 to 36, he says, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but the son belongs in it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And we sang about that this morning, free indeed. And the freedom that Jesus is talking about is the freedom of changing our status from slave to of sin, a slave to sin to child of God. We're welcome to be part of the family. Now I think freedom is something that humans seek, that we value. And I don't know what you think about when you think about freedom. I watched a National Geographic video called The Story of Us. And the interviewers went around the world and asked people all over the world how they would describe freedom. People gave some very d interesting answers. Of course, running around naked came up a couple times. Um, but otherwise, people had a lot of interesting things to say. Like, freedom is liberating yourself from others' expectations. It's being who you are and doing what you want. It's living without oppression or fear or limitations. It's letting go of everything. Dancing, love, flying, holidays, going to the beach. A few people stated that they thought freedom was impossible. But if freedom is possible, what does true freedom look like? Pastor Tim Keller says this. He said, freedom is the fulfillment which comes when you're doing what you most deeply desire. But Keller gives a caveat to this, and he describes freedom this way. He talks about fish, and because fish absorb oxygen from water and not air, a fish is only free if it's restricted to water. If you take a fish out of the water and let it explore on land, soon it loses its freedom, its freedom to breathe, its freedom to live. And real freedom isn't being restrictionless. It's finding the right restrictions. So what are the right restrictions for humans? And what does Jesus mean when he's talking about freedom? First, Jesus declares that truth is what really brings us freedom. And the word truth is used seven times in this passage. In our era, truth is not a word people like to think about or to aspire to. We're suspicious of people who claim truth. We think they're trying to control other people. Or we think that truth is relative, my truth and your truth. So what kind of truth is Jesus talking about here? I believe Jesus is talking about the truth of who he is. He is the great I am. And the truth that he is the light of the world. And he's also talking about the truth of who we are. We are broken people and we are sinners. And by sinners, Jesus means people who are enslaved to sin. Sin is turning away from God. It's self-centeredness. It's failure to lo love God and others well, whether it's in our thoughts or our deeds or our motives. 
And I think most of us have this a hard time receiving this bad news that we are sinners, especially good and righteous religious people. We don't like to hear this truth. We like to hold on to the idea that we are good enough. We're really trying. But Jesus uncovers the truth of what is. So think back to my fall backstage. When the light went on, expose the truth of the hazardous stairs. Uh, and Jesus, he exposes the deadliness of sin. Everyone who sins is a slave. We are not free, but we're imprisoned by guilt and by shame and by addictive habits. Many of us do not know this because we cannot see our own enslavement. Now, I think most of us know someone who's addicted to some kind of substance and living in denial, and they think they can stop any time. A number of years ago, my husband was watching the news, and former um, mayor and late mayor of Toronto came on, Rob Ford. And now, if you've seen pictures of Rob Ford in those days, he was quite puffy, and his face was red, and he was overweight. He didn't look very healthy. And the reporter challenged him and asked him if he was an addict. And he responded by saying, do I look like an addict? <laughs> of course, he did look like an addict, but he just couldn't see that in himself. And when Jesus' light shines on us, instead of condemnation, you are an addict. Jesus offers us grace and forgiveness and freedom. And when Jesus says the truth will, will set you free, he is talking about the truth of who he is and the truth of who we are. We need Jesus' light to shine so darkness is exposed. And when we recognize the truth, when we believe in Jesus, when we follow Jesus, Jesus sets us free from the power of sin and frees us to be in close friendship with God. As Keller suggests, true freedom comes when we follow our deepest desires, those that were placed in us by our loving creator. And like a fish made to breathe in water, we were made to live in relationship with God. We need Jesus, the light of the world, to come and to shine and to uncover our deep and true desires. And in responding to his call, we are freed, freed to live as we are created to live. And when we receive the light of Jesus, it will transform us. We will become more humble, more compassionate, and less judgmental of others. We will be able to resist temptation in new ways. As we abide in Jesus' commands, it's Jesus through his spirit who comes to dwell in us and give us freedom. Let's pray. So Jesus, we thank you for the light that you shine on us. We thank you for the way you are committed to dismantling darkness in us and in the world. And God, we want to open our lives to you. We want to offer our hearts to you. We want to truly be your followers. And we invite you to transform us, to transform us into people who resemble you, who love like you, and who can resist temptation like you could, Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.